To support our work at the Izzy and Mortada Picture Show and the work of other independent creators like us, sign up to listen to the podcast on Nebula. Nebula is the creator-owned streaming platform that hosts great videos and podcasts like the one you're listening to now. Sign up today at nebula.tv slash picture show, and you will get access to this podcast plus other great podcasts and videos. Sign up at Nebula and help support independent media creators. That's nebula.tv slash picture show. Mortada. And I'm Izzy. And welcome to the Izzy and Mortada Picture Show. For this week's episode, we have a very special treat for our listeners. We are talking about a new film that is out, and we are very excited to talk about Chrissy Judy and talk to two of the people involved with the film, the writer, director, and Judy, Todd Flaherty, and Chrissy Wyatt Fenner. Todd and Wyatt, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having us. So happy to be here. Um, so we both loved this movie and we were very excited to talk to you about it. And so we wanted first to ask you to tell us a little bit about the film. So if somebody, you know, what is your two minute pitch about this film? Todd, can you tell the us a little bit? The elevator pitch. Yes. Uh, so Chrissy Judy is about... Um, two drag best friends uh, who are two best friends who are drag queens um, who live in New York City and have this drag duo. And the film is about what happens when Chrissy decides to move away from New York um, and leave this drag duo to pursue a romance and uh, how Judy sort of picks up the pieces and um, and reconfigures his life without his best friend by his side. So it's a love letter to our queer friends, our chosen family. And um, and uh, yeah, I think that that's that's my elevator pitch. <laughs> uh, uh, that's great. And where did the inspiration come to you? So you, you wrote this film, you directed it, you star in it. So tell us about kind of like how it all started. Uh, so it all started, um, I always hesitate to say that it's autobiographical, but um, I did start writing it in 2018 when I uh, moved to Philadelphia after living in New York for 13 years um, to pursue a romance. Um, so I always joke and say I'm a little bit of both Chrissy and Judy. Um, and uh, I think it really all started because I had these really incredible formative friendships in my 20s, like two or three of them that really shaped me. Um, and all of those friendships sort of dissolved in some way with the introduction of someone else's romantic partner. So I had been a Chrissy, I had been a Judy. And um, I I love queer cinema. And I think that, you know, oftentimes we explore like coming out and we explore unrequited love stories. But I never had really seen a queer film about chosen family and friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really wanted to explore that. And then I also wanted to explore, um, you know, what it is to be a queer person who makes queer art for queer people um, and how difficult that can be. And um, I didn't want to write about a writer or an actor. So I just zoomed in on drag and that art form. And I thought it would be a really fun way to cement this friendship together if they had also this like incredible artistic collaboration with one another. Yeah. 
You know, I love that you said that you wanted to make a film that's not about coming out and about chosen family. Because when I tell people to go watch Chrissy Judy, I tell them this is the type of queer movie that we've always wanted to see. And now it's out there and you can see it. So um, I love you talking about that. Um, Wyatt, why don't you tell us um, how did you enter the picture of Chrissy Judy? I was uh, early in the pandemic. I was I was in Provincetown um, for the first time outside of the city. It was around um, September, late September, early October, like the perfect time to get to Provincetown and be in that witchy autumnal Cape Cod environment. Um, and especially that year when we'd been, you know, holed up in our apartments for months. Um, and I was driving to the Stop and Shop, and I saw this little cutie on his bike, and I thought, Oh my god, is that Todd? Because years ago, Todd and I had done a reading of a play together. So I sent him a text message and I said, are, are you in Provincetown? And he said, I'm living here now. I came up here during the pandemic. And we got together for a walk on, um, on the beach one afternoon and the tide was out and we were walking along the beach and catching up. And in Provincetown, when you're walking along the beach, there are these rock pilings that um, secured the sand in place. We were walking over one of those pilings and I didn't realize how slippery they, slippery they are. And um, my feet went right out from under me and Todd caught me and totally kept me from just like smashing my head. And he's like, oh yeah, you have to be careful in here. Um, and it was just like sort of the perfect example of how this experience and he came in, came back into my life because a little bit later he um, reached out and said, I have this screenplay and um I would, you know, love for you to to read it with me. And so we got together and got some pizza and read the screenplay. And then I think a couple of days later, he asked me to play the part, um, which is such an incredible gift and has been such an amazing experience. But it, it all, you know, it all happened because of that kismet afternoon that I saw him biking away from the stop and shop when I was going to get my hot dogs and hamburgers. Yeah. <laughs> and I have so, to say also, like, it's it's such a testament to, like, just putting yourself out there because... I had been working on the script for years and really like, you know, why I was like, okay, well, I know why it's a great actor. And I know that like, um, even if he thinks the script is terrible, he'll still like be game and do a great job with it. And um, I think we sat down with like six of us to read the script and it was just a bunch of my non-actor friends and Wyatt, who was like so brilliant. And at the end of the reading, I was like, oh my God. Like we don't even have to cast this if he wants the part. It's his. He's so great. So, um, yeah, I think it was just like a a great exercise in putting yourself out there and saying like, can can you be a part of this? Yeah, yeah. And and Todd has um has spoken about you know one aspect of his creation of the story related to putting himself out there creatively and providing himself with the opportunity to tell a story that he wanted to be able to do as an actor and i think that the empowerment the self-empowerment that he allowed himself in and taking those steps and then you know together the one foot in front of the other experience that we had in making this film was just really breathtaking and continues to be really inspiring um so yeah it's been a total thrill I'd, yeah, I'd love I mean, to ask you more about Provincetown because I know like that city or town has such a rich history of queer art and life. And how is how did spending time there uh, influence this film? I mean, did it teach you anything about storytelling and community that ended up in the film? Yeah. So I first came to P-Town in 2010. I was doing a play that was running here that whole summer. 
And I was like a baby. I was 24 and I didn't really know anything about queer community other than like going to Splash nightclub with like my, you know, boyfriend, you know what I mean? So like I I wasn't really connected to the queer scene at all. And when I got up here, um, I just learned so much about like our history and um, and the idea of chosen family and like the people who came before me to create work and and I think, you know, obviously P-Town is a queer enclave, but it's also considered the first um, uh, artist colony in America. Um, Eugene O'Neill was up here in the early 1900s um, creating work. And so I think that there's just like, there's something in the air up here that just like breeds creativity. And um, yeah, living up here, I think um, just really helped me to see like, I always tell people like the experience of walking through life as a queer people in a heteronormative world is such that your sexuality is always being placed on you by other, by, by everyone else in the world. Mm -hmm. And so it is the first way that you, most, that most queer people identify because that is what we have been taught to do. Um, And when you're in P-Town, I think the population is around like 65 to 70% queer, like year round. Um, so when I go to the grocery store, most people, in fact, like, like there aren't many straight people there. And so when you're living in a space where you're, you're not self-identifying as queer or as your sexuality, it gives you an opportunity to say like, okay, well, who am I if I'm not just my sexuality? And I think that that really allowed me to find my authentic voice and my artistic voice. And I think that it's, this space has had that impact on a lot of artists um, and so I think that's kind of what's infused into the film and um, why Judy thrives so much in the third act of the film here, um, because it's a space where like self-exploration is not only welcomed, it's encouraged and um, and and the opportunities for self-exploration here are incredible. Yeah. To that point, I also think that um, Provincetown is a place that s- supports artistic community so intensely. And it's a place where people's ideas and impulses artistically thrive. And an aspect of the film that I adore is that I think that not only queer people, but all artistic people, um, you know, we experience the early stage of finding our artistic families when we're doing plays in school or when we're realizing we like art class, you know, like when we're all identifying that in each other and particularly for, um, well, speaking from my own experience as a, as a young gay man, identifying my chosen family and the artists around me as a kid and as a teenager was sort of like my practice round to then when I was in my twenties and I was finding my chosen family in queer culture. And when Judy no longer has access to the queer family that she's developed without realizing it she discovers that she does have access to art and to her artistry and to an artistic community that is represented by provincetown it could be wherever it is but provincetown is such a brilliantly magical artistic place that it's perfect for that aspect of the story to really blossom because i think that's something that whether you're queer or not people who have artistic inclinations, who will appreciate a film like this, identify with. And again and again throughout our adult lives, we come back to things that we learned as young people that were so empowering and important to us. Yeah. 
You know, I love um, listening to you to talk because you seem so in sync. And I think that also appears in the film. Um, I think one of the things that when I first saw this film and I saw it the first time last year, that really I knew it was special was watching both of you together um, and just understanding the deep relationship between Chrissy and Judy. So when the fallout happens, you the audience sort of understands why this was such you know, a volcanic event for Judy and why she couldn't move forward and why her world sort of collapsed because your performances together in the first half of the film sort of, it makes us understand that. So can you tell us about that? Because it's not anything that you say to each other in the film. It's just the space that you occupy together um, in front of the camera tells us about this friendship and how much it means to both of those characters. Yeah, I think so much of that just comes from that like mystical thing that no one can really quite explain, which is chemistry. I just remember sitting at that table and reading this with Wyatt and and just knowing literally in the first two pages that he had such a a well to draw from of personal experiences and that he's so identified and knew who this person was. Um, and I, I think that like, we really didn't have a lot of rehearsal, you know, this was like a micro budget. Um, we shot it so quickly and I think we pretty much had like maybe three takes, maybe four takes if we were lucky to kind of get something before we had to move on. And so a lot of it really was just like that both of us came, I think that we're, we're very aligned in like what we seek out professionally too. We work very similarly. And um, I think, you know, like obviously Wyatt did like an incredible amount of work before he came to set every day. And I, you know, came with my own um, well of knowledge of these people. And it just was really like a chemistry thing that we were just constantly like in the moment, as they say. Um, and it, it felt effortless. And I think that's what really reads on screen. Yeah, definitely effortless. Wyatt, did you want to add anything? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything that Todd said. Uh, and I also, you know, I, I think it's a, a testament to who he is as a director as well as a scene partner because the um, enthusiasm was always encouraged, you know. Um, I feel like Todd and I are both people who, when someone we admire uh, has a spark of an idea, we blow on the spark, we add the kindling, you know, we allow the flame to build and we do that for each other creatively. Um, you know, and, and since the experience of making the film and, um, you know, like traveling together to the festivals, we've also, you know, like personally, like that's a consistent aspect of our relationship. When we started making the film, we hadn't, we hadn't had the time to become as close as we are obviously now, but I think that that aspect of, who we both are creatively is a large part of it because when you show up and you're ready, you know, to light a spark and someone says, okay, I got it. Like I got, yeah. I've, I've got this, Hey, let's make a fire. Um, you literally can just like get on like a house on fire, which the two of us do, you know, I'm so grateful for it. Todd, you mentioned something about um, not having time to rehearse, not having a big budget. And I just, you know, want to ask you, this movie looks so damn impressive. First of all, for cinematography, looks, um, especially wow, yeah, gorgeous. That's my brother, yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> oh, your brother is a cinematographer. My brother yeah. is a cinematographer. That's crazy, yeah. so yeah. good. Oh, yeah, he's a genius. 
So I wanted yeah. to ask you, I guess, two questions. One is about why you chose black and white. And maybe you can talk a little bit about the cinematography, but also just how did you do this? How did you accomplish make this movie that feels so amazing and looks so great on such a short time and with what I understand is not that much money? Yeah, so um, I think it was really just the perfect storm. Um, I, I've told this story a couple times before. Um, so I wrote this in 2018, and by the fall of 2019, I had a totally different producer. Um, I was out in LA for a couple months and had a completely different creative team. And in early March, um, she and I, my producer, were location scouting in Philadelphia. And we got the call from our main investor, and he was like, I am so sorry, but I have to pull out. Like, I don't. I don't think that you guys are going to be able to make this movie. Um, and we were like, no, 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 it's just going to be a couple of weeks and, and we'll still be in pre-production and everything will be fine. And um, so we had about like 150,000 to shoot this movie. And even then my producer was like, oh God, this is going to be really tight. <clears throat> and our cinematographer at the time was concerned about it. And then, then we really had nothing. Um, and I made a short film that summer with my brother um, for change i think like you know two or three thousand bucks and um and it looked stunning and it was uh he was the cinematographer we taught his wife uh how to be our sound mixer on set and it was just myself and joey taranto uh who is also in chrissy judy was in the short film and we shot it for two days and at the end of that we started sending it to the festival circuit and um you know my brother was like people are really responding to this I know you're stressing about finding money for Chrissy Judy again, but I think that we can do it for virtually nothing. I think the way we have to do this is just the way we did the short film, which is just a small crew and um, kind of like what he calls run and gun. And so, uh, or guerrilla style shooting. Um, and so really the final piece that got put together in making it all happen was finding Wyatt and was, um, you know, not only were we blessed to have his talent, but like he, I knew that he was down to make this movie and excited to make this movie. So a huge part of producing it was saying like, okay, we're going to shoot. Uh, like our first shot together was just running down 78th street, hailing a cab. And then we got on the long Island railroad express and we went out to fire Island and we were just shooting a ton of B roll. And like, that was really like our first day um, and so the crew was myself as the director, my brother as a cinematographer who was wearing a billion hats and his wife, we wrangled to be our sound mixer again. Um, and there were a lot of times, of course, where I was like, oh my God, you know, like, is this going to come together? Um, but I think that's also what makes it feel so special is there weren't, I've since worked on like other bigger projects and which is, it comes with its own level of excitement. But when you have a multitude of voices and more producers and people involved who are saying like, this is what I think, or here's how I think things should move. You know, we were really lucky not to have that. So it was really just Brendan and I saying like, okay, this is what we want it to look like and feel like. And um, if we can't accomplish that, what's the solution? So um, I think we were able to make such a tight film on such a short budget or a, a, a such as you know on such a small budget because we were able to problem solve really quickly mm -hmm. um and because everyone who was involved knew how small it was and um i think we all had hopes and visions that it would reach the audience that it's reached but i think in the filming of it we were all kind of like we'll see i don't know where this is gonna go and i think that that like kind of um added to the energy and the intimacy and the urgency of of the work in the film yeah it really shows um, why did you choose black and white? 
it looks amazing, oh, yeah. but why did you choose it? <laughs> Thanks. Um, I knew that I wanted to, I, I just knew when I was writing it that I wanted it to be in black and white. Um, I had recently come off of reading Dancer from the Dance. And I don't know, you know, when you don't have any visual representation of something, like when I read that book, I saw these two queer characters and their friendship. And I was like, it's so crazy how this story is timeless. And I saw that book in black and white. And so when I was thinking of Chrissy and Judy, I I saw it in black and white because first of all, I love black and white films. And I, I think that there's something like just incredibly romantic about black and white films. And I loved the idea of, juxtaposing that with the story of a friendship but also you know and talking about dancer from the dance i just think there's something really timeless about this story of queer friendship that we haven't really ever um explored cinematically and my hope is that people can watch this 10 years from now 20 years from now and not really know when the film was shot because it feels so timeless in in its story of this friendship it's been really exciting over the last year hearing um, different perspectives that audience members have had as to the black and white and and different um, effects that that occurred in them personally as they received the story, which is uh, always, I mean, we were in Atlanta, I think it was, or maybe it was North Carolina, and um, an audience member said, oh, I could, I could tell that it was, there were all of those beautiful homages to Anya's Varda and Cleo from five to seven, and Todd and I were like, well, that's awesome that you saw. That. <laughs> but it's, you know, there's there's such a wealth of of just like cinematic history that people cinephiles are so thrilled to apply to such a beautiful story about friendship, and that's also been really exciting to experience. When we were uh, one of the times we were in Los Angeles, um, Andrew and I were getting my partner Andrew and I were getting protein shakes after one of the screenings, like the a day or two after. And a group of older guys approached us and said um, that they had seen the film and that, you know, said, well, we're sorry to interrupt you, but we wanted to tell you, we felt like we were watching our experience in the sixties and seventies. We felt like we were taking back to this time in our lives. And even though it's a contemporary film, it completely lent itself to us just being taken back to that time and place. So I think that, that it's, it's thrilling to hear different perspectives people have. And I also, I personally think that, a, a little nod to the Chrissy and the Judy of it is the duality of black and white. You know, there's like, there's always gray space in our relationships, but there is also the yin and the yang. There is the black and the white. There is the Chrissy and the Judy. And um, I, I love that aspect of it personally. Yeah. Well, I think like yeah, that's the who, time. That's who I'm stealing that. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I, I think like the timelessness is a really interesting way to think about it too. And in terms of those conversations you have about like updating drag, because that mm. the, I think the bar owner says something like, you know, the girls these days dance and lip sync to newer songs. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk about your relationship to drag and how you kind of situate these icons from the 20th century, like Jim Bailey and Judy Garland mm. and like a different form of drag than I think is very popular these days. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite documentaries is The Queen. If you've never seen it, it's so incredible. It's it's drag um, uh, pageant culture in the 60s. And it's really, if if, if you want to deep dive in, it's um, kind of the moment that like Crystal LaBeija forms ball culture from being discriminated against in this in this world. And the first time I saw The Queen, I was like just blown away 
about the idea of female impersonation and where it comes from and how it's evolved over the years. Um, and I wanted to explore that in this film because I think that, I think that, uh, you know, we don't ever talk about uh, RuPaul or Drag Race in the film. Um, and I think that that show has had such an incredible impact on drag, but it has also shifted completely how we look at drag. And when I was coming up in New York, um, as like a teenager and seeing drag for the first time, I had a completely different experience with it. And I feel like it was a little more open to different interpretations. Whereas now it does feel a little more homogenized and like what people are looking for in a drag show, which is dancing and, you know, Beyonce songs. And, and that's all valid and great, but I loved, um, I really wanted to explore this character who um, had an affinity for this time gone by and um and yeah the the things that i've seen about jim bailey i mean he seems incredible and i um i had heard a story about him jim bailey was a female impersonator who mostly did judy and barbara uh, and he had a show on the vegas strip and one of my favorite stories about him is that um apparently uh someone was seeing one of his shows and there was a couple in, sitting in front of them like this old new york couple and the husband's like i thought judy died I, I thought Judy died. And the wife sitting next to me goes, that's that's her daughter. It's her daughter. <laughs> and so like even, you know, that this man was like tricking these, uh, you know, these these people on vacation thinking that they were seeing Liza Minnelli do an impersonation of uh, her mother. Um, and so I thought that there was like something about that that would really, uh, that Judy wanted to explore that other queens might not be today. Um yeah, so I think that's where all that came from. I, I grew up listening to that music. My mom was an opera singer and my grandfather was a jazz pianist. So I sort of lived in that world musically. Um, we didn't have a lot of pop culture in, in the house when I was growing up, um, for good and for bad. <laughs> so um, I also just wanted to like, you know, uh, play with that style. And, um, and I think it also works really well with the black and white. Yeah. Um, I loved hearing you say as time go by, because here on this podcast, we love people from time that went by. And mm. also, I'm and literally also, wearing a Barbara Streisand sweatshirt right now. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we also love actors and acting. So I want to talk to you about that, about your performances. And um, you talked a little bit maybe about your inspiration, but I want to hear specifically from both of you about is there an actor, an actress, a performance that sort of inspired what we see um, from you as Judy and as Chrissy? Mm -hmm. Wait, well, I, I'll let you tell that first, because I feel like you had um, maybe you've answered this sort of before and I was really blown away by your answer. I, I definitely, you know, I didn't have any experience in, in drag specifically before we started making the film. But when I was a little kid, the dress up box in kindergarten and preschool was like my heaven. So when we got into the drag aspect of it, it was very second nature for me to play dress up and turn into a gorgeous woman. And as Todd likes to say, a total monster. But um, <laughs> specifically as, as Chrissy in drag, uh, I was and and feel very inspired by Sarah Jessica Parker and Shelley Duvall. And um, one time I was asked this question, someone someone asked, you know, what, dra what drag queens inspired you? And I spoke about the actual cis women who inspired me because that was the way that I approached it creatively. And uh, someone said like, well, they're not drag queens. That's ridiculous. And I thought, well, I, 
I, I get. I guess I was so being my own drag queen. Yeah, I was like, and then it I is was, like an homage to these women. Yeah, totally. You know, and like, like Bailey. You know, he also adored Betty Davis, who, by all means, is you know, not a a male actor, but absolutely a, an icon and uh, aspirational actor, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, it, from the drag perspective, I was absolutely inspired by by those women. The, those three women were sort of my touchstones, and the. Um, the femininity that I approached to, you know, to embody as Chrissy and drag. Um, and, uh, as far as the, the other aspect of, of Chrissy, you know, I, I would have to think if there's a specific actor that I was thinking of as far as inspiration, um, it, there wasn't someone that I, that I, I, that I was looking to, to their work. It was, for me, it was more about, um, recognizing the the beauty of the situation the beauty of attempting to uh move into a direction in your life that will allow you to blossom that unfortunately can't include someone that as much as you love them you need to step away from and the attempt to as gracefully as possible allow that for yourself and the difficulty and complications of that I don't, I mean, I really don't think that a story like this has been told before. So it was beautiful mm-hmm. not to have the touchstones of, you know, like, um, you know, I am gagged for all of the versions of A Star is Born. But, you know, <laughs> 40, 40 years from now, when people try to me remake Chrissy Judy, um, you know, it'll, <laughs> it, it'll be its own thing. Yeah. Uh, we, but we didn't have that this time around. Yeah, we never really had a conversation about like actual uh, like female performances that inspired us. I I would say also in general, um, I'm always drawn to um, I I find when I watch things, I'm more drawn to female characters um, because I think that women and, uh, you know, actresses get the opportunity to express strength and vulnerability more often than men do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I am always immediately connected to. Um, I think that's why people love Judy Garland so much is because there was so much turmoil underneath um, this desperate need to like prove herself to herself. Um, yeah. 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 And so I think that that's kind of what I was trying to align Judy with even in the name is like this person who um, is fighting a bunch of demons to prove himself to himself. Yeah. Todd and I are also both actors who um, work with our entire bodies. You know, I'm an actor who recognizes that like my nervous system's experience of the circumstances that my character is in is what allows the audience to then in turn experience what's going on in the story. And to take that work as an actor, as far as you're able to, when you're in a corset and heels and earrings and nails and lashes was a whole other, a whole other world of it. Because aside from our choreography and the singing and dancing that we're doing, we really, it, I've always been someone who uses my entire body, you know, I think with the tip of my pinky and my toes and every, all of that stuff um, from Grotowski, but adding drag to that was so thrilling and um, sort of like blew the roof off of the experience of what it is to use your body as an actor, as we both do in everything that we do. Yeah. 
You know, I loved all these names that both of you mentioned, Sarah, Jessica, Shelley Duvall, Betty Davis, Judy, and Liza. Like, there is not a subtle performer in there. And, <laughs> and I love all of this because this is the type of acting that I love. You know, people who are like, they are giving you real people, but also they know the medium that this is not real. Film is not real. You know, mm. the stage is not real. Certainly drag is not real. So there's this certain extra thing of like maybe a little bit more archness. And I love that. And I see it in this movie and in your performances. And I think that's why I love this film. And I wanted to ask you, you know, talking about that, you both have acted on stage. So how different it, and now you've, you know, you've obviously acted on screen, small and big. And so what's the difference? Like if somebody were to ask you, what's the difference between um, doing something in front of the camera and doing it in front of a live audience? I think, you know, the old saying is true. Uh, the theater is an actor's medium and film is a director's medium. And I think that for an actor, it, it's actually very liberating. I think a, for a long time early on in my career, I wasn't putting two and two together. And so I was uh, trapped in my own need to have control of my performance on film. And now I really understand like every take is just an opportunity to rehearse and to try something new. And um, it's so liberating because there's someone else who will, and really it's what was so great about working with Wyatt was with the small amount of takes that we had, he did something so different in every single take that, you know, then you sit in the editing room and you're like, okay, this really um, is such a perfect moment to help the audience see where Chrissy is here. And even if it's not, all from one single take, you can um, piece together a performance from choices that are bold because there's a freedom to make mistakes. And I think that that's what I am loving more and more about film as an actor is just the freedom to um, deliver a multitude of performances. Whereas I, I feel like in theater, um, it, it, it's funny, I, I when I went to school, um, David Mamet was a guest teacher for a couple of my classes. Um, and he told this story about seeing his wife in Oleana, um, you know, for many, many, many performances, he would go see her many nights in a row. And every night he would come backstage and she would be like, oh my God, that was the worst show. Oh my God, it was so bad. Or he would come backstage and she would be like, that was my best show yet. And he was like, I watched the exact same performance every show. But when you're on stage, what you're really feeling is the energy that the audience is giving you. And it, it affects like what you think of your work more than it does on film, I think. So that's the difference for me. Yeah. yeah. I feel like um, I, I've worked on stage for so much of my career and I've had such a, a thrilling experience engaging with audiences in that way because when you're in the space with 500 people who are in, embracing what it is that you're going through, it's an immediate... An immediate um, feedback and an immediate you, you know you leave those performances every night and you know it's 3 30 4 a.m before i'm able to like shake off the blissful energy of, of all of that and and it's thrilling um it is technically different in the sense that you know sometimes you work with directors who say okay so i want you on 10 or i want you on six literally like the numbers on the lip of the stage where they want you standing it's sort of like more of an operatic style of directing but you'll encounter that sort of stuff 
And then in other cases, you'll be working on stage with someone who's, you know, all over the place. It's just potentially always very different. Whereas in film and on television, you have the opportunity to, um, I, I believe, like Todd said so beautifully, try different things and also ap apply different uh, ideas and experiences to the same story. You can tell the same story with different nuances. And um, then you don't go out and perform it every night. But, you know, over the course of the last year, we have been in so many sold out cinemas, feeling people experience our story in the space with us. And it's absolutely thrilling riding those waves with an audience of people who are, you know, appreciating what's happening up on the screen right there. So yeah, yeah. those are, those are a few of the differences that I feel like I've encountered and um, you know, they're all wonderful, but God, it's wonderful to watch this movie with a cinema full of people. Yeah, I did. I rode one of those waves when we played the Sydney Fest last year. It was great. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to ask you about the ending. Cause I think it's, it's kind of ambiguous, but like positively ambiguous mm -hmm. in a way. Um, it's just, it's such a beautiful shot. Uh, the two of you sitting there together and you kind of, it's very simple, but it's, it's full of subtext. And mm. I'm just curious, do you have an idea of where Judy and Chrissy go from there? Where, where do you envision they get off the ferry and what's their, what's their next step? Yeah. I, I wanted the ending to be open for interpretation because I think that is the truth of a lot of these friendships. And I love that after every screening, someone comes up to me and they're like, Oh my God, I had this friendship. And, um, and I think uh, where Chrissy and Judy go physically is to two different places. But I think that um, there is an acknowledgement of their history and their profound importance to one another. And I think that um, the ending is a way to say, this is where we are right now. And that, it, and there's, that is susceptible to change. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that's where Chrissy and Judy are is like, there's, you know, I don't think there's ever such a thing as the end. Um, and I think that they're really living in that. Um, so I think it's time to throw a little bit of shade. We have this, um, bit in the podcast where, um, we turn it to Betty Davis and her fur and her famous line. What a dump. So, um, <laughs> so I'm going to ask you, since we were talking about all these, you know, about acting and actors and actresses and all these wonderful people you mentioned, and, you know, who would you throw shade at? Any per any actor in history, somebody you look at a little bit askance, they haven't moved you. Okay. Be shady for, you know, a minute or two and tell us that. <laughs> Maybe like an overrated performance or something, you know? Oh, God. My God. <laughs> that won't oh. get you in trouble. <laughs> we don't want to get you in trouble. <laughs> I... Uh, while uh, you think about it, I can start. Um, so <laughs> yeah, you can think about it. And then, yes. So I recently saw a film that I think is going to be out by the time this podcast is out. It's called Air. It starts Ben Affleck and... Mad Damon and mm -hmm. oh, that movie was it was not for me and it's sort of like not only because it's a story about these about mostly men in suits in offices which is like boring 
but also even the performances of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, which could theoretically have all these sort of like going from the outside in, like Ben Affleck mm. has this um, wig that is completely funny and Matt Damon has put on weight and, you know, all these sort of like transformational things that you would think would um, make, you know, somebody who likes acting that is a little bit bigger than usual go oh yeah i like this but no this was so boring and because all they were talking about was corporate marketing and who the fuck cares oh, so yeah. this is my dump for this week ben and matt whatever <laughs> <laughs> um okay i have one it's controversial and it's not it's not cinema related is that okay it's yeah it's of course related. Yeah, go for it yeah. i just saw they're promoting i guess um Sunset Boulevard, Andrew Lloyd Webber at Kennedy Center. And I was like, I really hated that musical. And then I started thinking about Andrew Lloyd Webber's canon. And I was like, he's really great at like having one or two songs that are amazing. Like, like, uh, what's the memory? Yeah, of course. Like, you know, incredible at like creating like one or two like centerpiece songs that Mm -hmm. everyone walks away from. And he has that genius thing where you sing the songs when you leave. But in terms of like the story, I I have never seen a full fledged production of an Andrew Lloyd Webber show that I was like, wow, that was amazing. I'm always left feeling like, what was that even fucking about? I was tempted to go to that because of Stephanie J. Block, but yeah, I, I didn't make yeah, the I want to investment. See her walk down the steps and say, yeah. I don't know why I'm frightened, but like I'll just watch that on YouTube or something. Yeah. And you see, it. this is the this is one of the perfect examples of the the yin and the yang of the two of us because I'm an Andrew Lloyd Webber stan, and <laughs> I will see any of his musicals. We saw Bad Cinderella in London, and um, no shade to Bad Cinderella, we didn't need to see it again in New York after seeing it in London, but the classics, <laughs> Phantom, Cats, bring it. I'm out forever. So I love our differences. <laughs> um, I'm team Todd um, on this. I'm like, yes, exactly. He only <laughs> usually has one song and in Sunset Boulevard, it's as if we never said goodbye and that's yes. it. It's one yeah. and done. Yeah. yeah. We were, when we saw Sunset Boulevard, uh, when they, the Glenn Close revival happened recently, our mm-hmm. seats were so high up at the Palace Theater that when she made her first entrance atop the staircase, the audience started cheering. All we could see was two tiny little feet underneath, <laughs> underneath the proscenium. And we were like, is that, is, is that her? And she sang like a whole verse before she came down the steps and we could actually see her. So that was, you know, that was an experience. Um, I think that I think that my dump really has to be the Tennessee drag bands. Um, it, just yeah, I I it's ridiculous. It's a distraction. I think it unfortunately, um, I, I mean I, everything about it is unfortunate. But um, that it is going on right now is so baffling to me. And um, uh, that's. That's got to be that's got to be my what a dump for now. Um, yeah. I, I hope people can start to see a bit more clearly. Uh, I think people who watch this film have the opportunity to recognize the beauty of this form of storytelling and the connections and bonds that um, having this kind of creativity and these creative partnerships can provide people, and that it is nothing but safe and gorgeous and empowering. Um, and it really makes my stomach turn that that is something that's happening in our country right now. Uh, yeah, it's I, awful. I, it's, I, 
I, I'm sorry it's, it doesn't relate to cinema, but it's okay. No, no, it, it does. To Chrissy it's theater, yeah, yeah, yeah it's it to <laughs> Yeah, yes, relates to our movie. Yeah, yeah. Which is why it's great that your movie's coming out at this time. This well, week. I feel very silly going after that. That was <laughs> very beautiful. Um, Love the mood. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I've been um, writing about Michelle Yeoh for the past like two weeks, like very, writing a very long essay about her. Um, so I was going to just dump Louise Reiner and her performance <laughs> in The Good Earth, for which she won an Oscar. Um, in Yellow Face. In Yellow Face. And I think that's shitty. Um, And so I would just dump that from history and uh, lift up Michelle Yeoh as the first Asian woman to win that award. Bravo. Yeah. Bravo. (laughs) Um, Todd and Wyatt, this has been such a pleasure to have you. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming and to talk to us. And we wish you all the success with this wonderful film as it rolls out. And I would like you to let our listeners know where they can see the film, where where it's playing, when it's coming out, and all that good information. We're uh, rolling out in theaters. Um, we'll be in Los Angeles starting Friday, March 31st. Um, and then we'll be in New York at the Village Cinema East uh, starting April 7th. And in San Francisco also on April April 7th. And then I believe we'll be on all video on demand platforms on April 4th. So wherever you rent or buy movies, um, iTunes, Amazon, uh, that's where we'll be. So if you're not in one of those major cities, um, we hope that you can find us there. And if you're in one of those major cities, treat yourself to the cinematic experience and and yeah. see the film in a theater because it's such a special movie to watch with an audience full of strangers and you will have a wonderful time. Yeah, it is gorgeous. And yes, don't miss it if you get a chance to see it in the big screen. And Todd and White, where else can people find you online? If you can tell our listeners that. Uh, You can find me, Todd Flaherty, at Todd Flaherty um, on Instagram. And I am on Twitter, but I never tweet. Um, So it's T-O-D-D-F-L-A-H-E-R-T-Y. You can find me, Wyatt Fenner, at Wyatt Fenner on Instagram. And my new very favorite social media app is Letterboxd, where I love to write film reviews of um, all the exciting things that I see. So if you're a Letterboxd fan, find me on there. I'm Wyatt Fenner. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at BK Rewind and on Instagram at underscore or BK underscore Rewind and on YouTube. Be kind, rewind. And you can follow the show at I Am Fixed Show on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm on Twitter at M-E underscore says on an Instagram at Mortada underscore E. Yes, I still use the underscore. Um, and until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>